Let's take out our Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Chronicles. The book of 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament is page 471 on your pew Bibles or in your pew Bibles. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles 20, it's page 471 if you don't have a Bible with you. You're also welcome to use your device or however you access God's word. Well, during the time of Moses in the Old Testament, during the time of Joshua, during the time of the judges, the people of Israel, they didn't have an earthly king. They had no king. They were a true theocracy under God. They had leaders, but they didn't have a king. Eventually, they longed for a king. They wanted a king. They asked for an earthly king. And so God eventually gave them a king. And the first one, his name was Saul. And that didn't work out very well. Saul was a tragic figure. He did some good things, a lot of bad things, but he didn't work out. But then they got King David, and he was incredible, according to the scriptures. Did a lot of bad things, but he was a man after God's own heart. And then we have Solomon, his son. Solomon built the temple. Solomon wrote books of the Bible, including Proverbs. He wrote that as wisdom to his son. One of those sons was named Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the man who took over for Solomon. And right here is where the kingdom of Israel divided into two nations. So we have the kingdom in the north and we have the kingdom in the south. Rehoboam was a hothead. Rehoboam listened to bad instruction and wisdom around him. And so the kingdom divided. It's one of the most tragic aspects of the Old Testament when the kingdom divides. So you have the kingdom in the north that retained the name of Israel. And you have the kingdom in the south that was named Judah. And so we have these books of the Bible, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, that chronicle for us the reigns of all of these kings. And so the book of Chronicles, those two books are essentially about the southern kings. The only time we hear about the northern kings is when they intersect with the southern kings. And the accounts of the kings in the Old Testament here are raw, uncensored, at times violent. You know, if this were made into a TV show on Netflix, and if it were faithful to the text, it would rival any fantasy drama. It would rival any historical drama, any war drama, as far as the drama of it, the intensity of the events. When I was in grade school and still today, these books, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, were some of my favorite books of the Bible because of the way that they chronicle these incredible stories of each one of these kings. Teachers, listen up. One of the best teachers I ever had was my fifth grade teacher. She was tough, but My favorite class that she taught was Bible because she walked us through each and every king of the Old Testament one by one. And even back then and today, I'm amazed at how at the end of each 
one of their reigns. At the end of their reign, there's a summary judgment statement made about the king. You could say that it's his all-in barometer. How much was this king all-in? It would either be said that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, or it would be said that he worshipped idols, that he led his people to do the same, or it would be said that he did good in the sight of the Lord. Many times, even that time, it would be qualified with he did good in the sight of the Lord, but he did some pretty nasty things as well. If the king did really, really well, it would be said that he did good in the sight of the Lord and that he walked in the ways of King David, his ancestor before him. Get this, there were 42 kings and one queen. All of the kings of the north were found to be evil in the sight of the Lord. All of them, every single one. And in the south, in Judah, only nine were said to have done good in the sight of the Lord. And only a few of those were have said to have walked in the ways of King David. So you could say the accounts of the kings show us just how all in the kings were or were not. At the end of each reign, like I said, each king gets their all in or not summary statement. Listen, when you come to the end of your life and all of your thoughts, all of your words, all of your deeds, all of your motives for the things you've done, all of the things you've said behind closed doors, all of your text messages, all of your emails, all of your Facebook statuses, all of it, if it were all taken into account, what would be the one or two sentences written about you? About how all in you truly are. So today, we begin a series that I've entitled All In. It's going to be rooted in the reign of the fourth king of the southern kingdom. This is 850 years before the time of Christ. His name was Jehoshaphat. Now, don't name your kid Jehoshaphat. If you're in seminary and you're all into the Old Testament, still don't name your kid Jehoshaphat. It's not a good name. I don't care if you feel led to name your kid Jehoshaphat. Name him Joe. Don't do Jehoshaphat. He is most famous for the battle described in 2 Chronicles 20. In this account, three of Judah's enemies come up against Jehoshaphat and the people. So three of their enemies, they bond together and they come up against Judah. Scripture says that even though he had fortified his cities, even though he most likely had a one million man army, he was afraid. Jehoshaphat was afraid. So he calls the people together. He calls them to fast. He calls them to pray. One of the musicians stands up in their midst and says a prophecy that they would not even have to fight the battle, that the battle belonged to God, that God would bring them salvation. God would 
bring them the victory. All they needed to do was to stand firm, to go out, to march. And so the next day, they went out, they sang as they marched. When they finally got there to the scene of the battle, the three enemies had all slaughtered each other. Every single one of their enemies was dead. And so it took three days for Jehoshaphat and the people to carry off the riches, the plunder that was left behind by these three groups of people. And the story and Jehoshaphat's reign ends with joy, with peace, and with absolute victory. So, when we look at this passage, we can see what it means to be all in if we follow Jehoshaphat's example. If you've been here long enough, you know that that's not where I'm going with this. You know that's not where I'm going with this. And in fact, I haven't even defined for you yet what it means to be all in. It's a very vague kind of thing, to be all in to what? Define your terms. You know, what does that mean? That's going to unfold over the next several weeks. You're going to have to come back because this is going to be a message that's going to be continued next week and into the next week as well. So you have to be here every Sunday in the summer in between your vacations because you're going to miss it if you're not here. And it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And it's going to be life-changing. And this is an obscure passage of Scripture. So you probably didn't wake up this morning thinking, you know what, I want to go to church and hear about Jehoshaphat. I'm sure you didn't think that, but then on the other hand, maybe you did. Because this past week, I was on vacation. We had a family reunion. And so my mom was there, and she asked me what I was preaching on this Sunday. And I told her I was preaching on Jehoshaphat. And both of us realized at the same time that during the entire week in her daily email devotional that she sends out to thousands of people, she was unpacking the life of Jehoshaphat this obscure passage in Scripture. Amazing. And she even said she loves this passage, 2 Chronicles 20, because not just because of the events of 2 Chronicles 20, but because it ties in so much to the previous events of his life in chapter 17, 18, and 19. And that is exactly the approach that I'm taking. So if you've been reading her devotional this past week, which you should be, it's pure gold, it may not be true that Jehoshaphat hasn't been on your mind. I believe that the Holy Spirit works in those small ways in life. I have a burning hammer inside of me to preach this passage really, really well, to be very clear about what this passage is saying. I believe, listen, with all of my heart, that this series is crucial for Reach Church. It's crucial for you in your own life, for me. It's crucial for us to discover and to unpack what it truly means to be all in. Like I said, each king gets their all in or not all in statement at the end of their reign. And so let's look at 2 Chronicles 20. Let's look at the first verse. Let's just take it a few verses at a time. Like I said, this is going to spill into next week. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them, some of the Meunites, 
came up against Jehoshaphat for battle. Isn't it amazing in life that there's always an after this? Look at those two words. So rich. Sometimes life goes so fast and it's so busy that we can't even keep up with all of the after thises of life. This past month and the month or two ahead for my family is incredibly intense. I mean, it's been one after this after another. My daughter Molly graduated from high school. She was kind of the culprit who started the whole after this, you know, um, segment one after the other. I was the graduation speaker. After that, the next morning, we graduated the GCA class. I was the speaker for that, and many of those kids are many of your kids, and I've helped raise them, and I've seen them grow. After that, we had two more graduations. After that, our oldest son, Mark, moved out of the house into his own apartment. After that, we had the wedding of a young woman in our church to an orphan that she met while on a mission trip. After this and after that, my son will get married next weekend. This coming weekend, my son gets married. After that, my wife is leading a mission trip to Kenya, Africa. And after that, both of my daughters will be going to college. And these are just the big events. These are just the big events. In between there, there was a family reunion my son went away to Covenant Camp and didn't change his clothes for three whole days. Uh, you know, there's always an after this. There's always one. There's always another test. There's always another temptation, another mountain to climb, another blessing, another opportunity to build the kingdom, another time to invest in your church, to invest in relationships, another time, another after this to invest in your marriage, another after this to honor God. What is my point? You better be ready for all the after thises of life. You better be all in, and we'll define what that means as we go, now so that when the hard after this is are being faced, you have something to offer. You have something to fight back with. What's the context here? After what? Well, early in chapter 19 or earlier in chapter 19, Jehoshaphat had received a rebuke from a prophet. He had done something wrong, received a rebuke. He received it like a man from all intents and purposes of the scripture. We see that he received it. And then for the rest of the chapter, he's reforming the nation. He's doing good things. He's putting leaders into place. In chapter 19, verse 4, it says that he was among the people, that he was a people's king. In verse 5 in chapter 19, he fortified the cities. In verse 6 in chapter 19, he encouraged the leaders to lead well, to lead fairly, to be just, to uphold the law of God. Things were going really, really well for Jehoshaphat, for the kingdom. And then, bam, chapter 20 happens. This is how God repays him. This is how God repays all of his great obedience from chapter 19. Let's look. After this, 
the Moabites, Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites came up against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, Enjedi. So all in means that when enemies come up against you, all you need to do is be ready to let go and let God. You know, to pray and to fast, that's all true. But you won't do it, and neither will I. At least not well, because you can never really, truly, and those of you who have gone through pain, you can't ever really be prepared. We talked about how the very first words after this are interesting because there's always an after this in life, but it could have easily have been said out of nowhere. And some of you are feeling that this morning. Out of nowhere, a diagnosis of cancer. Out of nowhere, my child seems to be struggling in their faith. Out of nowhere, I seem to be having marriage issues. Out of nowhere, friends I thought were my friends are no longer there for me or friendly towards me. Out of nowhere, I seem to be losing my zeal, my faith, my first love. I won't tell you which TV show um, because I don't want to spoil it if you're watching it. But Melanie and I were watching a show where one of the main characters dies suddenly, tragically, right at the end of one of the seasons. And it's an older show. And during the time when the show was on, it was very controversial because it just came out of nowhere because this actor had said, you know what, I don't want to do TV anymore. I want to do movies says that right in the middle of the season. And so they had to find a way to just eliminate this guy. And all of his stories were kind of climaxing. There was a love interest. Everything's going really well. And then bam, they just kill him. He dies. And then that's it. And everyone kind of said, you know, this is so unnatural. Doesn't make a lot of sense because it wasn't really planned for. But here's the truth is that that's the way death is. That's the way these things happen in our lives. The after this is that are difficult. They come out of nowhere. I mean, we're approaching a time of the year in July. I've heard my dad tell this story before. He said that right around July 4th in 1993, he and my mom were sitting on their porch and my dad was saying, you know what? Life is really, really good. Life's so good. The kids are getting older. My son Chuck is just, just an amazing, incredible, <laughs> wise and humble person. <laughs> Dan, not so much, but Chuck, no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Life was good. I'm feeling that right now. My son's getting married this weekend. That kid's never given his mom or I a, a sad day in our lives. I love you guys, our church. Reach Church, I mean, we're on fire right now. Not because of me, but because of what Jesus is doing among us. 
I mean, life is really, really good. The past three or four meetings I've had where people have called me from the church and said, you know, can I just have a few minutes of your time? Are there some things on my heart? You know, many times when a pastor hears that, first of all, you don't like it because you want to know what the meeting's about. And so I've kind of gotten to the point where I want to know what the meeting's about before I meet. That's just polite. But however, usually that's bad news. The past three or four times, I've had people come into my office just to tell me how much Reach Church has meant to them. Just to come in and encourage. Life is really good. It was really good for my parents. And then on July 6, 1993, my brother dies in a car accident. That's the way life is. After this, out of nowhere. I don't want to get morbid. In some ways I do, because the scriptures are many times morbid. Today's Sunday. You could drive out of this parking lot today and die, and we could be having your funeral in this building before next Sunday. That actually happened to someone one week when we said that. We said something similar. He goes out with his wife on jet skis. A freak accident happens, and he dies, younger than me. Out of nowhere, are you all in? I haven't even defined what that means yet. Hopefully, many of you are going to catch on to what it means as we unpack this. After this, this is how God repays him. The Moabites, look there at verse 1, the Ammonites, they don't even like each other. They're enemies with each other, arch enemies with Israel. And they join together. They're banding together. I mean, nothing else brings people together more quickly than a common enemy. Jehoshaphat and Judah suddenly become the common enemy. And then there's this mysterious third group of people who join the Moabites and the Ammonites. And translators of the Bible aren't even clear as to who these people were. Some versions literally say the others. The others joined the Moabites and the Ammonites. ESV translates them as the Meunites. What a name. How relevant is that name to our time? The me people. The all about me people. The all about me people unite. The me unites. Get it? It's comical. The me unites are the ones who unite against you just for fun. So Jehoshaphat in chapter 19, received his rebuke like a man, seemed to have really changed, made reforms all through the nation, turning people back to God. And this is Jehoshaphat's after this. This is how God repays him. Some of you are sitting in that seat right now. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you feel like you've done just so much for the Lord. I've invested so much in my child and they're still not walking after Jesus. I've done so much at work, I'm still not appreciated. I've tried so hard in my marriage, it still isn't happening for me. How we respond to the after this is of life show us just how all in we truly are. When we were looking at a graphic 
for this series, a sermon graphic for the sign for the bulletin to advertise the series. One graphic we were looking at was, and if the guys could bring it up, it was the picture of a, of a rowing team. Every team member is rowing in the same direction, you know? I mean, they're all working hard. Everybody's doing their part. And man, could I preach a sermon series on that baby right there. I mean, one of the things we would say, perhaps, is that you need to be rowing with everyone else. You need to be doing your part. Don't be someone who's not pulling their weight on that boat. Don't be someone who's being pulled in the back. You know, maybe there's a second boat in the back being pulled by all the people rowing. Maybe it's a luxury yacht. You know, there's a few people, you know, the, the 20% do all the work and they're rowing and you're sitting back in the back boat and you're just kind of lounging and enjoying the ride. Don't be like that. Be more like Jehoshaphat who really jumped into things. Or we could say, you know, and that would be true by the way, or you could say that you could be sitting on the boat and maybe you're in the back and you're not pulling your weight. And not only that, but you're kind of just in the back without rowing and you're just yelling up instructions to the people who are rowing. And we do that in the church all the time as well. Or we complain sitting from the back, row this way, row that way you know, never helping out. And man, I could preach a hellfire and brimstone sermon and series on that graphic right there. And I could pull all kinds of things out of this passage and I could convict you and you would change for about six minutes as you go outside into your car and your wife says the wrong thing or your child says the wrong thing and it's all over. It's amazing. Go to the next one. Because here's what I think it's more like. I think that being all in, and you may not be able to see it clearly, is more like this graphic. It's jumping off a cliff by faith into the water. People who have talked about jumping from high places in the water, the thrill, the freedom... The just, you're just ecstatic to just jump in the freedom from burdens, but it's a step of faith. Being all in that way, saying I give up control, that's harder than the first one, by the way. I'm going to give myself over recklessly to nothing but Jesus. I'm going to take the leap of living into nothing but Jesus. What kind of church would we become? You think it's good now? Watch out. Are you all in with nothing but Jesus? There was another king, 850 years later. He had lots of after thises. I said earlier it must have been discouraging for Jehoshaphat to have done so many great things in chapter 19 only to experience the devastating after this in chapter 20. I mean, how unfair, how disappointing. But there was another king 850 years later. And at the start of his ministry, there was a summary statement made about him. This is my son. In him I am well pleased 
listen to him. And there were many statements made about him after his reign, during his reign. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You may be thinking, wait a second, this is the Old Testament. You've been going on and on and on and on and on the past weeks, months, even years now about nothing but Jesus. Now we're in the Old Testament. We should finally get a break from all that nothing but Jesus stuff and move on to some more mature things. Believe it or not, I too want to move past nothing but Jesus and on to other things because that's the natural bent of our hearts to move away from Jesus, to move away from that and back to the rowing. Because that's the bent of our hearts, to be drawn in by anything but Jesus. Just look at social media this past week. Anything but Jesus. All these political issues, anything but Jesus. By whatever political debate of the week that, that it is. By self-improvement to be drawn in by our own pet issues and legalisms, to be drawn in by a vague idea of God, but not a specific person who is Jesus. To read the Old Testament and these stories as moral examples instead of as one failure after another. Are you truly all in when it comes to Jesus? Because that's what this passage is about. 2 Chronicles 20 is a type of Jesus. It's a picture, and we'll see this in the weeks to come. You don't know how much discipline it's taking from me to not jump ahead to it because I can't wait to preach it, that this is a picture of salvation, this entire passage. Are you truly all in when it comes to Jesus? Does it dictate your decisions are you all in when it comes to coming together with people at church, to being the body of Christ, to worship together, to encourage one another, to serve, to get involved, and to bless one another in relationships? Are you truly all in? You would have to say no. But thankfully, this passage, this story, and we'll see this in the weeks to come, is laced with nothing but Jesus. We're going to find that Jesus is right in the middle of this story. We've talked a lot about nothing but Jesus, what it means in our lives, but it's not about following examples in the scripture. It's not. Those are good things, but that's not what it means to be all in with nothing but Jesus. We can be all in on what Jesus did for us not on our own righteousness. What would happen, what would happen if our entire church were to take that leap and say, you know what? My heart is bent against this, even as a Christian. Even as a Christian for many, many years, my heart is easily drawn back to all the anything but Jesus idols. All of them, some of them are good things. What would happen if you took a leap of faith? nothing but Jesus. What does it mean to be all in when it comes 
to your salvation. You're going to have to come back next week to find out. But I'm going to give you a hint. And we're going to get into the story, probably go through the entire story next week. I just wanted to give you a taste of it this morning. It has a lot to do with the plunder. It has a lot to do with the riches that they carried away. That has a lot to do with what it means to be all in with nothing but Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for us, that while we were sinners, you died for us. I thank you for these incredible stories in the Old Testament that point us to Jesus. I pray that we would deeply engage with this passage, with this story that seems so obscure, so irrelevant, but yet it is so relevant to our lives. It's the most relevant thing we could possibly look at. As we begin this series, as you continue to bow your heads and close your eyes, I just want to, I want to ask you to focus your hearts, to commit now to focusing your heart, your mind, your soul on the scriptures and on what God has for us in the next several weeks. One part I'll give away for next week from the third verse, it says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Some of you are afraid right now. I'm afraid. Life's going too fast for me. It's one thing after another, one after this, after another, after this. Jehoshaphat was afraid. What was his response? And set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. There was another man who set his face. In Luke 9, we read that when the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be crucified, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jehoshaphat set his face to seek the Lord we can really say, because this is a picture of salvation, this story is outside of Jehoshaphat. We'll see that in the weeks to come, that he wasn't really that great of a guy. This is a picture of King Jesus. This whole passage is a picture of King Jesus. And if you are in him, you can also, when you are afraid, set your face, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I want to challenge you, challenge us to set our faces towards the Lord in the coming weeks. Let's stand together as we close our service.
Let's pray for this brother now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, this brother who stood up and shared his story. Lord, I pray that you would provide for him. I pray that you would provide for all of his needs. I thank you that he has been moved in his heart. I pray that you would continue to work in his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's lift our voices together. We can go all in because of what Jesus has done for us. And as we gaze at his face more and more and more, we're more and more compelled to jump off of that cliff into the water, going all in. So let's close and lift up these words together one more time. He took on the grave, and not even death could shake us. Let's sing it again. I have one more thing to say. I have one more thing to say. You know, what just happened there is something that doesn't happen in churches. It's, I mean, just think about how desperate a man has to be to stand up and do what he did. That's not something that happens every week in a service like this. But you know what? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not saying I want that to happen every Sunday after church. And guess what? It probably won't. But you sat here today and you witnessed something. The Holy Spirit fills a man. It fills us. But I also want to say one more thing, and then I'll shut up, and then we can sing. That (laughs) we're going to see next week that there was a man who actually stood up in the assembly before Jehoshaphat. He was a musician. Jehoshaphat didn't have the words. He didn't have it inside of him of what to do. He was afraid. He called him to pray. One of the musicians stood up and said, salvation belongs to God. That was the person who did it. Almost exactly how it happened this morning in some ways. So God is doing something here at Reach Church. And again, I'm going to ask you, are you all in with nothing but Jesus? Let's worship together. Lift your voices together to close our service.